Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, an environmentalist legal shakedown of Chevron is exposed, the Supreme Court considers the legitimacy of trial lawyers funneling settlement money to their preferred nonprofits, and thousands of workers exercise their rights to refrain from financially backing unions they don't support. In our first item, we have Chevron, which has been fighting allegations of environmental violations in Ecuador, and won a U.S. judgment under the Racketeer-Influenced Corrupt Organizations Act, holding that an Ecuadorian judgment against the company was the product of corruption, released documents showing that a number of Chevron critics and environmentalist activists had equity stakes in a potential judgment against the company. For some background, Texaco, which was later bought out by Chevron, had a joint venture with the Ecuadorian state oil company to drill for oil in Ecuador. At the completion of the venture, Texaco and the Ecuadorian government agreed to a remediation plan to clean up the oil drilling sites, and the Ecuadorian government pronounced itself satisfied with the remediation conducted by Texaco. However, sites for which the Ecuadorian state oil company was responsible were not properly remediated. Stephen Donzinger, the plaintiff's attorney who allegedly orchestrated the anti-Chevron scheme, allegedly promised the Ecuadorians that he would not take legal action against the government to secure backing for his anti-Chevron efforts. Donziger reportedly sold stakes in the judgment, which was enjoined by a U.S. court, and that judgment had prohibited Donziger from profiting anywhere in the world from the Chevron case. Among other actions which corrupted the Ecuadorian judicial outcome, an environmental analysis purportedly conducted by an independent court expert was in fact conducted by a consultant hired by Donziger. Prominent activists were revealed to stand to profit from the scheme. They include former press secretary to New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, Karen Hinton, Reuters journalist Christina Munoz, and Pink Floyd musician Roger Waters. A Greenpeace activist who blogged about the case was reportedly paid $15,000 to attack Chevron. Waters and his managers allegedly stood to gain roughly $10 million if Chevron were ordered to pay out. In 2018, Donziger's New York state law license was suspended. Chevron has asked that he be held in contempt of court for selling these equity stakes in the enjoined judgment in violation of the court's order. The warning from this whole scheme? The little human rights lawyer versus big corporation framing in the press coverage was grossly misleading, as it often is. Media outlets often prefer to ignore the influencers supporting the causes they agree with, preferring to portray their side as pure, grassroots, and unspoiled by financial interest. The Chevron shakedown is just the most egregious recent case of the influence battle being more complex than the surface story appeared. Our second item comes from the Supreme Court. This week, in a case titled Frank v. Gaius, the Supreme Court considered the legitimacy of class action lawsuit settlements which direct money not to members of the injured class of persons, but rather to trial lawyers and nonprofit organizations uninvolved with the case, chosen by the plaintiff's attorneys. In 2010, a woman sued Google on behalf of 129 million search users, presumably including me, for violating privacy rules. Google settled the case by paying $5.3 million into a nonprofit fund under a doctrine known as CIPRE. The lawyers who brought the suit received two and an eighths million dollars, the named plaintiffs got incentive rewards in the thousands of dollars, and the other 128,999,997 or so class members got nothing. The nonprofit groups funded by the settlement included the alma maters of the plaintiffs' lawyers and public policy nonprofits Google already financially supported, most notably the Stanford Center for Internet and Society. It is notable that both the Institutional Plaintiffs Bar, represented through the American Association for Justice Trade Group, which contributes roughly $2 million per election cycle to federal Democrats, versus about 100000 per election cycle to federal Republicans, and the settlement defendant Google, whose corporate foundation has fun- provided eight-figure grants to the left-wing Tides Foundation, are generally recognized as liberal progressive influencers. 
One of the recipients dictated by the settlement was the American Association of Retired Persons, AARP, a massive influencer aligned with a number of left-of-center coalitions like the Alliance for Justice, pushing left-wing judicial policy and opposing center-right originalist justices like Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. Ted Frank, a critic of class action law and a lawyer for the center-right competitive enterprise institute, sued to stop the settlement, arguing that such C-Prey awards amounted to self-dealing by big corporations in the plaintiff's bar. To quote from his brief, quote, In the absence of legal rules providing proper incentives, the negotiating party's preferences, readily achieved even in the absence of explicit collusion, are to structure a settlement that maximizes the class attorney's share of the settlement value of the case while minimizing the cost to the defendant all at the expense of absent class members. It's also notable from Frank's brief, quote, Petitioners also objected to being compelled as a class member to subsidize the AARP's advocacy and lobbying on controversial policy issues, which Petitioner Frank often opposes. The case was argued before the Supreme Court this week. Observers were divided on which way the court might rule. Left-of-center influencers frequently use the settlement procedure to route funding or, when regulatory agencies are controlled by left-wing interests, government regulation, to benefit left-wing organizations and interests. The Obama administration was notorious for using sue-and-settle, a procedure by which a liberal interest group like the Sierra Club would sue the government, which would then settle with the liberal group by agreeing to its proposed regulatory action and then pay the liberal group's legal fees out of taxpayer money in order to push restrictive environmental regulations. When, as in the Google case, trial lawyers and corporations they sue are likely to be ideological aligned, these CPRE payments can end up serving the lawyers and companies' mutual policy interests, which may not, as in Frank's case, be those of the class members. And in our third item, the Freedom Foundation, a free market organization in the Pacific Northwest, is claiming credit for persuading 25,000 government employees, principally in Oregon and Washington State, to stop paying dues or agency fees to government worker unions, since the Janus v. Asmi decision secured the rights of descending non-members forced to be represented by unions to refrain from supporting the activities of those unions. Prior to the Janus decision, we discussed the issues at stake in the case with Mark Mix of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation in episode 13 of the Influence Watch podcast. In short, unions have demanded, and in practice are always given, monopolies over representation of government employees to increase the union's bargaining power. Unions deceptively claim that this privilege is actually a burden, since they have to represent non-members if they want to keep their monopoly. Until 2018, over 20 states required government workers to pay union fees for this reason. The Supreme Court ruled that because of the special circumstances surrounding government worker union bargaining, all government bargaining ultimately affects public policy, expenditures, and activities, it violated workers' free speech rights to force them to make these payments. So, now government worker unions have a choice. They can either give up their monopolies or pay for their privilege by representing non-members. The Freedom Foundation, for its part, has canvassed, principally in Oregon and Washington State, but also California, all of which previously required these agency fee payments, to inform government workers represented by AFSCME, the SCIU, and other government worker unions of their rights to refrain from financially supporting these unions. And if their numbers are right, they have convinced roughly 3% of the unionized government workers in those three states to stop paying. Given a ballpark estimate of annual union dues of about $100 to about $1,000, in practice, dues levies vary widely based on workers' pay level in the particular union. Government worker unions in the Northwest could be looking at up to a seven- to eight-figure drop in their dues collections from the Freedom Foundation's efforts. Of course, the unions continue to try to keep up the flow of forced dues. The Freedom Foundation has sued the state's AFSCME affiliate in Washington and SCIU Local 775 NW for various attempts to continue collecting forced dues post-Janus decision, 
allegedly including by forging signatures of government workers who don't want money deducted and given to the union. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.